So maybe you're a crazy person like me who has over 400 Marines and you want to name them all. Or maybe you love creating new characters for D&D. Or maybe you just really like learning the meaning and origins behind some of your favorite nerdy character names from pop culture. Well then, it sounds like you need Naming Your Little Geek by Scott Root. This is an incredibly fun and easy read. It taught me not only is Ulrich the name of a war god, but also a Sith master. It also comes with one more added benefit. It's a great resource for naming your babies. Follow the link in the description below and pick up your copy of Naming Your Little Geek today. Hello and welcome back to what we are calling bolters. Why are we calling these bolters? Because they're rapid fire and only last 24 to 30 minutes. I'm Lord Command Orc, and with me as always is... Your shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? I am tired. I'm less tired than I was 40 minutes ago when we started recording, because I've been sitting, but I'm still uncomfortable, and I want to open up my hot sauce and eat my chicken, but I can wait another 20-ish minutes. Alright, well, let's keep this train rolling by thanking the illustrious Legion, our wonderful, wonderful patrons who support this show and keep it free to you. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Ray, Brandon Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donald Lucy, Nathan Millis, Patrick Anderson, Carson Mel, Scott Rubin, Derek Scotty, and Peter Cook. Now, if you'd like to join that illustrious Legion, head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. 25 cents an episode is the barrier to entry. That's a dollar a month, and that means you get early access to all our content. By the way, as a side note, I, I got a mini fridge this last weekend. I got it set up like day for yesterday, and it's, it's I got it set to the coldest temp, and the drink I have in there is like so cold it almost becomes slush, and it's so satisfying. Oh, that's perfect. Especially, like, you get real serious summer. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's not it's not that hot today, but it's hot enough while I was doing work, and I'm looking. I'm glad I got my mini fridge. Oh, by the way, I don't think I told you this. Maybe I did, but I found out yesterday that my AC system needs to be repaired. Yeah, you, you told me that, and oh boy. Oh, I did tell you. Then I'll skip it. But for anyone who doesn't, who didn't miss our last episode, the the trials of Axel's homeownership bullshit continue. Anyway. Yeah, telling some friends, our mutual friends over the weekend, that you and I have different summers. Me, it gets hot here, but because I'm surrounded by trees and woods, there's nothing to hold the heat in at night. You live on a desert built on top of stone. Yes. There is no heat dispersal. It's 110 at night, and it's 109 at midnight. Yeah, pretty much. In the in the, the peak of summer. That is yeah. Big, yeah. I think we... No, it is. <laughs> You're in a big griddle. Yeah, luckily it's not the... When I go visit Wretched, we go sometimes on a boat into a valley where it can be like 117. But you're on the water and that helps. But yeah, yes. but I'm just saying, like, the area I'm in in general is the desert. It's hot. <laughs> Most of Idaho is just fucking rock with scrubland over the top. Anyway, let's talk about fun bolter things instead. <laughs> yeah, this was kind of a fun idea that came to me. And, you know, it'll rear its head in other episodes. But with the end of the Horse Heresy book series coming to an end, a lot of people have talked about, well, what's the next big event they're going to do? Are they going to do Unification Wars? Are they going to do another period in Imperial history we don't know about? And they got me thinking, what if Warhammer, and by this I mean AOS, 40K, Fantasy, what have you, started doing games set in other big climactic time periods like historical wargaming does. And technically, without get, we don't know how this is looking yet, but we know that 
Games Workshop's already playing around with the idea since at the time of recording, we know that uh, they've done announcements for the old world and we have information about the old world. Which yeah, is, War- it's a different period. Yeah, it's specifically a period of Warhammer Fantasy that takes place like 500 years before the end times, something like that. So, like, they have a very specific time in mind before where Warhammer Fantasy, like, even took place. And the question there is, did they do that to escape the end times? Or they're like, no, let's genuinely tell this story in this time period that we don't know yet. Yeah. Now, when it comes to storytelling, the answer is obvious. Like, yeah, write a book whenever. I would love to see books in any, basically, time in the 40 millennium you could probably do anything. war now, of the beasts started strong i really enjoyed the first few books in war of the beasts yeah now the question about whether it's valid to make games set in those is a little trickier i think yeah because wargaming to my understanding and we have loose plans nothing solid yet to get a historical wargamer to talk with us about some stuff like this but Historical Wargaming gets to basically have entirely different models for different settings because technology was in, you know, very different depending on geography and time. So a Wargaming set in the Napoleonic Wars is going to look vastly different from Wargaming set in World War One, for example. Yeah, there's also not as much of a monopoly on Historical Wargaming as games workshop has on 40k yeah so the first big hurdle in my mind is that whether you're looking at age of sigmar or warhammer fantasy or 40k the differences in technology within a single faction don't tend to change that much over a large period of times because the entire settings already have all these various factions in any one given time frame that's already the variety built in. So if you said, if you say, created a version of the game of 40k that took place in the 35th millennium, where like the War of the Beast happens, how would it be visually and like mechanically distinct from 40k, really, at all? There is that. That is the blessing and the curse of you can tell these stories in different, you know, time periods. And make subtle alterations or just have different characters. The big appeal here, and kind of think the big appeal of historical wargaming, is I get to fight these big battles that I know from the war, and I might get to, you know, change the outcome, or I get to play with these characters that I like. Because why do people play heresy other than I want to play with my favorite Primarch at my favorite battle, and maybe this time Ferris Manus will live? Yeah, and I totally get that. To me, the answer to that seems to not be entirely new games, but, like, event things. For example, yeah. like, you want to do a War of the Beast event, you release a special, like, Vulcan Primarch model and a special, like, uh, box of the six war bosses that are the Beast. And then everything else would just be models from Standard 40K. But then you have those... Well, you'd write, like, maybe you'd be make it narrative, like, do some special rules, do the Last Wall Protocol, yeah. and, you know... So, no, there's that's definitely in the pause. Like, that would be fun. That would be cool. Where it gets a little bit trickier of, like, when you want, if you want to go all the way back to what a lot of people want, myself included, think would be fun, is the Unification Wars. Now, that where it would I think be works. Ground up new. Yeah, that I think you could absolutely do, since from what I can tell, the Unification Wars would have an entirely different aesthetic, technology, and models that just don't exist in Heresy or 40K. Because the Thunder Warriors. Yeah 
don't exist past the nope. location wars. No, there's a lot of potential to play around there. But even let's jump over to fantasy. I mean, fantasy has a couple big periods that I wonder if old war, the old world is going to be like, and now we've finished the War of the Three Emperors. Now we're going to do the Vampire Wars. It or... feels like if the old world is going to succeed, it should lean hard into that. Like right now they're saying the old world is going to be set like 500 years for the end times, but it doesn't need to stay there. Like, you could easily do, like, oh, no, here's this event that takes place a thousand years for the end times. Here's an event that takes place in the end times. Whatever. Yeah. And, I mean, if you want to get really crazy, let's set one in the year 50,000. <laughs> like, we're just going to skip a huge chunk and, like, here's all these new factions. Don't ask what happened to these old factions. The new fun is, and now we're telling this story, you know? Maybe. I mean, there there's room... But there is also one big hurdle to get over for this to work. What? Historical wargaming works because no one company owns all the rules and all the models. You have multiple rules to play in multiple eras with multiple armies to play in multiple eras. Games Workshop wants to produce all the models and all the rules. So they cannot take the risk on... Do people really want to play this obscure time period from old fantasy? Or is it worth making the models? Sidebar, but instead of doing... Because I wasn't sure when you said the 50,000 if you meant like 10,000 years into the future of 40k, which I wouldn't really be into. But conversely, I would totally be into Warhammer 40k Andromeda. And it takes place in the Andromeda galaxy where the only things that you would recognize are Tyranids and Chaos, because that's the only things that still exist in this Yeah, reality. just like totally open up the setting. But Games Workshop can't take that risk because they make the models and the rules. And if no one wants to play that, they're out the investment. Whereas if they just made the rules and they said, hey, whatever models you feel fit in this scenario, then that could work. Same thing like if you wanted to go all the way back old fucking fantasy and do the foundations of the Empire with Sigmar and all the various tribes. Well, it's funny because this comes back to a conversation we've had multiple times about what Games Workshop is as a company, as a business, as a, for lack of a better term, a capitalist entity. And there's this idea that when you look back at their their mission statement and things they've said in, pay, you know, interviews and stuff that in the past they've definitely considered themselves a model company first and everything else was about pushing models i don't know to what degree that is still true but we have argued here before and i still think there's truth to this that games workshop should probably be really just an ip holder like handing out the licenses to use the warhammer setting for video games for shows for movies for other board games and stuff feels to me like the direction that Games Workshop should be leaning harder into. Yes, and they're very much on the horns of it. But no, that's a great example right there. The best test bit of this was pull your audience and find a few settings that feel like the best, most popular ideas, and then auction it off to other companies. Like, okay, you will have the rights to make Warhammer Age of unification you will have the rights to do warhammer the vampire wars I'm, you will I'm have the rights the to do warhammer andromeda i like that idea a lot <laughs> oh yeah but just and then 
the IP is there and like it sells on the value of the IP, but someone else can go, I want to tell this wholly unique story that is separate from, and people get to play around in this big sandbox. The other alternative is it would allow the Warhammer timeline to kind of shift in advance because, hey, you don't like what's happening in 50K? Go back to 40K. You don't like what's going on in, you know, 45K? Jump ahead to, you know, 50K. But you kind of get this fun, fluctuating timeline of you can hop off and still have your game whenever you don't like where that's going right now. It's weird because I don't know why I'm so opposed to the idea of it. I get, first of all, I agree with what you're saying. I'm opposed to a 50K, but other than that... I'm just throwing a random number out there. I know, I know. But I'm just opposed to something set in the future of 40K for some reason. I have to probably analyze the, my own thoughts on that. But, the other big advantage to this would be different rules that can yeah. wildly different. Sure. Which you can be playing like, man, I was playing some 40K this weekend. It's not really my thing. But then I jumped over to 40K Andromeda. They use this crazy D12 system. I never would have thought of it, but it's so much fun. Yeah, no, experimenting with different systems. Again, that would be the benefit of being more of an IP company and licensing out other games. I, I feel like they already kind of do that with certain other things. Like They do a lot of specialist games. Like, yeah. they sell the rights to make a special game, but they pack their models in. Yeah, or TTRPGs or stuff like yeah. that. So it, it, it does... I, don't know, I feel like we are lacking information about how Games Workshop actually conducts its business internally yes. to know how viable this is, but the concept. I'm just saying, if you have a universe as fleshed out as this with a timeline as big as this, why aren't you trying to find other avenues of like, well, what other eras do people are people interested in you know what that I they love? might want to do? Well, you know what I would love as a as a game that would serve dual purpose for 40k. Mm. Warhammer uh, Spheres of Expansion. And it's a setting entirely within the Tau Empire's first couple Spheres of Expansion. And it would just be Tau and the Auxiliary Races as factions when they were still warring with each other. And it would give an excuse to make those Auxiliary Factions into models. Yeah, again, there's so much potential to just opening up your time period, because I think everyone's biggest complaint is the stories don't matter in 40K, because even when you tell them, we know the outcome. So you know what? If you're in, if I know the outcome, at least let me go back and play with these fun, big, bombastic characters and see if maybe I can rewrite the narrative. Yeah. Sure. Plus, imagine the books you could sell, like, for the really hardcore Warhammer nerds like me, and it's like, and then on this day, Doran set out with blah, blah, blah tanks, and blah, blah, blah this, and blah, blah, blah that. And you match your list exactly based on the description. Yeah, yeah. The thematic nature of that. There's so much potential, and it feels like it's just sitting there. Sure. I mean, I don't really know what else I have to add to it. I feel like this is the moment where I would want a someone who plays a lot of historical war game to talk about like distinctions that are or questions that I don't even think of. Oh, what was the war between the orcs and the tyranids? Octarius War. The Octarius War. Imagine a campaign that's set around that. Yeah. That has rules for evolving orcs and tyrannids. Yeah. It seemed like they were heading a bit that way with... What book was it? There was a book that talked about, like, you know, the Inquisitors pressing in on the Octarius War and the World Eaters getting involved. But I can't remember what the book was. It was in the Psychic Awakening, and we all thought something interesting was going to happen again. And it didn't. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We keep getting burned. (laughs) Games Workshop loves to put out campaign books 
all these are these are campaign books set in different periods. Now the biggest thing was it would require Games Workshop to let the reins go on holding. They make the models, they make the rules, and letting someone else try. Yeah, and I understand why. But you can because do it, if, like I said, on a limited basis too. Like, you, all right, we're gonna release a campaign book for this event that takes place in the thirty-sixth millennium. Like, oh, the Reign of Blood could be an entire campaign. Oh, dude, book. that'd be fun with Proto Sisters of Battle. Yeah, exactly. So, like, the that that could be an entire. It'd just be a campaign book, and then you, they tell them like, okay, you have to stick within this certain set of parameters, but you can make a handful of unique models to add like specific flavor, and you can change your rules into this, or you could add these special rules. Or yeah, I could totally see doing that. The only reason I like there's a couple reasons, but the biggest reason is. I don't think Games Workshop wants people to know there are other more affordable models of equal quality out there. <laughs> I mean, they're not, they're certainly not invested in people knowing about their competitors. And that's like the only thing is Games Workshop going, why would we want people to buy other models? And my excuse is, you write the books. And you can charge as much as you want for those books because you got the big fancy art. And again, its idea is this will make them want to go over and play 40K. I'm like, this was a really fun intro narrative. What happened next? Oh, well, I've already bought these models. I might as well pay a little bit more to get these models. Yeah. Well, there's also... I was going to say that having other people make models does not instantly mean that people don't buy your models. People will still buy your models anyway. Yes. But that comes back down to companies' fascination with monopolies. Um, that's the problem, is historical wargaming, there aren't really monopolies. Everyone just kind of shares and trades and mixes and has fun because everybody's winning. Well, Games Workshop is very much a monopoly. Well, also, to be fair, no one has, like, ownership of a historical setting. Like, no one owns the Napoleonic Wars as a concept. So Yeah, but like, I don't know if you've ever seen any historical wargaming, but they thought, oh, these models are from blah, blah, blah range. No, I got these ones from these people. And, oh, I really like these ones. I got one from these people. And there are a few that are big. Like, oh, no, you go, Perry Miniatures is the big one in historical wargaming. But they aren't the... Juggernaut. They don't control it all. Yeah. Because everyone's making toy soldiers. Alright. And well, I don't know, Warhammer or Games Workshop used to do a historical supplement. Well, okay, well they wait they did? Yeah, way, way back they did historical battles. Huh. I mean the, the fact Remember, they... Warhammer Fantasy was started by a bunch of history nerds. Yeah, and they do Lord of the Rings right now, which feels like a closer stepping stone anyway. Oh, we didn't even talk about Lord of the Rings. Like, I know the Tolkien estate won't let that one open up, but, yeah, but imagine high in if they had gotten a Rings of Power miniatures game. Well, it's really funny because the whole reason why the Rings of Power is the way it is is because there's basically nothing written about the Second Age. So they have tons of leeway in how to have things in the Second Age happen. So you could do the exact literal same thing with a war game or any Lord of the Rings property where it's like the Second Age is this huge thing where, okay, we know these specific events happened but they're not that many and that's about it. So do whatever else you want as long as these thing, these events happen. Yeah, I know there's a couple companies that are sniffing around the rights of doing a Lord of the Rings war game set in something not the Third Age. Yeah. It's like Games Workshop, you're leaving money on the table. Because Games Workshop, they even they could charge us these ridiculous prices, but they have the fan base, they have the IP, they have the market penetration. They can afford to try these things out. All right, well, hopefully we can find someone who's an actual historical war gamer proper to talk with us about this, because I would be interested in their input. 
Yes. If you are a historical war gamer and you are interested in getting on this show, go join our Discord. There will be a place for you to check in and go, hey, I'm a historical war gamer. I'd love to talk about this. Yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things that podcasts must demand of you because we live in an ever-devouring world dictated by algorithms. And as far as that dictating algorithm, you must be listening to us on some platform that has its own set of algorithms. Well, thank you for contributing to our success there. But if there is some other platform whose success you are more invested in and we are not currently there, then tell us about it and we'll look into it. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and remember, Stormcasts are just fancy space marines.